Namaste. Welcome to Call and Response Podcasts with Krishnadas, where he shares meaningful stories of his life on the path, of his Guru Maharaji, and integrating spiritual practice into our everyday lives. Call and Response Podcasts is an offering of the Kirtanmala Foundation. The foundation is dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba, a great spiritual teacher of India. If you are interested in supporting this podcast and the work of the foundation, please visit kirtanwalafoundation.org, K-I-R-T-A-N-W-A-L-L-A-H foundation.org. So practice, you got to do practice, I'm sorry, you just have to. With our eyes open and our hearts open. But through a practice, you're, you're, you get used to coming back from being gone. It's more like an ability to let go. Where were we? Oh, yeah. So, um, India. You know, you walk down the street, you see Durga Travel Agency. You see Krishna Insurance Agency. Sri Ram Carding Agency. Everything is, they got everything, it looks like everything's holy until you look a little closer. But in America, you know, we don't, we don't have the, 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 the spirituality has infused the culture of India for many thousands of years. Now, who knows what's going on, but at least. But here, our own culture, Western culture is a few hundred years old, right? Right? <laughs> Hello? Hello, anybody home? Uh, am I right or am I? I don't know. I think so, right? The, the cultural, so-called cultural revolution or whatever. No, that was something else. <laughs> the Age of Enlightenment. Ha, what a, what a name, huh? So, and, you know, it's a few hundred years old. And it's based on the, land, the world of the senses and sense perception and intellectual understanding of all that. As far as India, as the East is concerned, that's a very narrow bandwidth, a very limited understanding of things. But my point is that uh, here in the West, being born as we are, a very westernized sense of self, sense of ego, so to speak. Um, when we do these practices, we should understand, or we could understand, I don't like the word should because I never liked anybody to say that to me. You should do this, and I just do the other thing, absolutely, exactly the opposite. Which is why Maharaji never told me to do anything except go away. <laughs> Which I didn't do. <laughs> Which is why he told me to go away, because he didn't want me to go away. But he knew that, you know, how it goes. So. Um, yeah, it would be good if we understood that adding chant, that we should see practices adding a new, uh, uh, adding something new to what's already in our lives. And it's something that doesn't necessarily have to be understood intellectually to a great degree. You have to kind of understand why it is you're doing what you're doing, but how it works is not, is not uh, 
can't be known in a conceptual way by the intellectual understanding because these practices work under the radar. And that's an important thing to keep in mind because a lot of times we'll do practice and we'll be like, well, I've been meditating for 18 minutes. I don't feel a damn thing. <laughs> oh, there's something. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's nice. Oh, I like. Oh, wait, where'd it go? Oh, my goodness. I'm, this is no good. I can't do this. Oh, wait, maybe I can. So that's, that's our meditation practice right there, pretty much. We think. We think, we think, we think, we think. So what we, what we can realize, when, when we add a, a, a spiritual practice to our, our daily lives, that practice is designed to release us little by little from the tyranny of our thoughts and our emotions and the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves all the time the 24-7 kind of critique that goes on all day, all night. And these practices have the ability to do that. Whether we understand how they work or not, which you really can't understand. Like we don't, if you're sick and you take an antibiotic, you may not understand how it works, but it worked. Then screwed up your intestines, but at least to save you from pneumonia. You know, that's a good thing. What is the sense of having intestines if you're dead? You know, it doesn't make any It's not useful. This could be quite an afternoon. Right? <laughs> Anyhow, so... Um, so the chanting, that's why the way I, I, I share this practice is really the way I do it. Which is really, I, I really don't try to manipulate myself and my emotions into having some particular kind of experience. Like I don't, I don't try, I'm not trying to get all ecstatic or all blissful, you know. Because my understanding is that that's our true nature. It's who we are already. And all the, the so-called ecstatic ecstasy stuff. Like, I hate going to ecstatic chant weekend at Omega. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> what if I don't feel ecstatic, you know? I mean, should I hide in my room? What should I do, you know? <laughs> but that's the point, you know? If we have some, some idea in our heads about what it's supposed to be and what we want it to be, we're going to be very depressed because it's, it's not really, we're not going to get it that way. Because it could, what was it, Groucho Marx said he never wanted to join a club that would actually invite him? You know, because it's, you don't want anything you can conceive of or imagine. It could never be enough because you're conceiving and imagining it from your own programmed reality right now, which is reaction to everything else that's going around. It's not a free imagination. It's a programmed response. And then you get it, and then it's not enough. And you're, you, know, you spend your whole life trying to be uh, a sadhu from India when you're really a jerk from Long Island. <laughs> it just is not going to work. Believe me, <laughs> said the jerk from Long Island. So let's, let's try to remember that when we add this practice to our lives, we're adding, it's like a medicine we're taking 
into ourselves, which cures us little by little from the disease of believing everything we think. We believe everything we think. That's so fucking crazy. I can't believe it. I'm sorry. I told you. I'm going to stop right there. Why do we believe everything we... We wake up in the morning, we be, I'm such a piece of shit, you know. And we go through the whole day pooping on ourselves. And we don't, we don't even question that. Like we don't question, why do I think that? Where did that thought come from? Why did that arise? Forget about thinking, trying to figure out why we believed it. That's all other thought. But where does this thought come from? You know? We just completely identify with that stuff. Of course, it's not completely because it could never be completely because we are actually, the thoughts are actually happening in, within us. It's a very, I'm not going to edit myself, okay? You deal with it. Go to the videotape. The thoughts are actually happening within us. We're not thinking them. They are floating through our awareness. And when the awareness meets the thought, consciousness meets the thought, we would say, I'm thinking. But that's not what's happening. It's the thought, it's the thought becoming, lighting up inside of our consciousness. And, but, we imagine, but we've been doing that our whole lives, so it's very difficult to actually see it. But when you do some practice, you start to have a different, develop a different perspective on things. It happens naturally that you begin to see things differently. You even begin to see yourself differently. And then when you see yourself differently, you wind up acting differently and feeling differently and being attracted to different people and being attracted, uh, entering into different situations that you might never imagine that you would be interested in before. And that's how these practices work. They, they change us from within. So that's the good news and the bad news because it means you have to stay living in the weird life that you're living and just add a practice to it that you can't go anywhere. There's no sense trying to create another you. Believe me, I tried to create another me for ages and I happily failed. You can't. We're, we're, we're who we are. So now, let's deal with that, right? It's dealable with. Fuck it, we can deal with it. It's not going to kill us. Well, it might. But asking the ego or the mind to kill the mind, to destroy the sense of separateness, which is ego, it's like Ramana Maharshi said, it's like asking the thief to be the policeman. There will be a lot of investigation, but no arrest will ever be made. So you add the practice to your life and you just do it. You find one that works for you for a while or that you like, that's what that means. Like, I like chanting. And once I asked Siddhima, who was one of Maharaji's greatest devotees, and she took care of us for many years after he left the body, I said, Ma, you know, should I meditate? Or should I chant? And she looked at me and said, well, what do you like to do? Now, my mother never told me that what I like to do could ever be good for me. <laughs> And now my spiritual mother was saying, yeah, 
what you like to do is good for you. You can do that. And that was fantastic. Another thing she said, which is, she said that Maharaji never asked her to meditate in 40 years with him. 40 years. But he, he told her, asked her to do, you know, to repeat these names like we're doing this practice. It's called Japa, or in this case, it's called Kirtan when you do it out loud. Chanting. But he said that the more subtle, deeper, or higher states of mind, which we, you know, we might think that we're aspiring to, say, can't be brought about by the use of our own personal will. With that, it's like trying to pick yourself up like this. You can't, no matter how hard you try, you can never pick yourself up like this. Because any, once again, anything we can imagine or conceive of can't be something that's beyond who we think we are, which is who we are. Well, who we really are is beyond, is much deeper than who we think we are. And so when I share this practice with people, I said, just sing. And when you notice you haven't been paying attention, sing. And when you notice you haven't been paying attention, sing. And when you, you know, because if you're paying attention, you can see it's almost impossible to stay for more than a billionth of a second to actually stay with it. When you're really, really right there, razor sharp. But you keep coming back. And what we're doing is training ourselves to just let go of the, the stuff that beats us up all day long, all life long. Whatever it is. And it's different than pushing away. We are not pushing away. That's a whole other ballgame. You're releasing and coming back to the chant. You made a deal with yourself. Whatever period of time you made the deal for, you're gonna whatever you catch yourself lost in, you're going to let it go and come back to whatever you, your, your object of concentration, so to speak. The mantra or the chant. That's the deal you made when you sat down. And now you're watching, you know, when is the Sopranos on? But, you know, you've seen the Sopranos 42 times already. It's just the reruns of the reruns of the reruns now. But you still want, you know, it's uh, okay, I have five more seconds. Time? No, three more seconds. It's so hard to really do this stuff, really. We... You know, many years ago, before I went to India, <clears throat> I was up in the mountains of New Mexico at the Lama Foundation. And uh, Lama means mud in Spanish. And uh, we had heard that there was a, an artist who had lived in New York, had gone to India and come back and was living in a cabin just down the mountain from where we were. So a few of us got together and went down to see him. And he, oh, he knew how to meditate. We went, wow, somebody knows how to meditate. This was in 1966 or something like that. Seven, eight, nine. <laughs> 68, 69, the winter. So, uh, so we went down to see this guy. His name was Herman. And... Uh, we went into his little cabin, and I think he made tea for us or something, and I was sitting in the back kind of just listening, and everybody else was asking questions. And So when it came time to leave, I was the last one out the door. And he 
grabbed my arm and he looked at me and he said, you, you have to find out why it is. You can't give yourself a hundred percent to whatever you're doing. You ever see like a squirrel on the wall of a... <laughs> he nailed me to the wall. I mean, the, I can feel right now how that felt. That was what, 50 years ago? Something like that, 40 years ago. Holy shit, I can still feel that. Because he was absolutely right. And that was my... That was... And I knew that. I mean, there was my... I, could, I was suffering so much from my inability to really do anything, you know, that had to do with real life. Basketball I could play, but anything else was torture for me because I just couldn't get into things. I couldn't give myself totally. I was too paranoid. I was too sensitive. I was too neurotic. I was too whatever, 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 whatever. Whatever it was, I couldn't. And he just, boing. <sighs> wow. And so... My whole life has been answering that question. Why, not really why it is, but how to be able to give myself 100% to what I'm doing, right? And um, when I first heard chanting in India, I knew this was something I could, do, I could really do. I could really give myself to this. And then I started going around listening to, you know, to hear wherever there was chanting going on. I would just go sit there and just be part of it. So it's not useful to try to make another you. It'll be just as screwed up as the first one. You know? So if we just take it easy, you know? And we have to really recognize that, you know, there's this thing, and they call it the laws of karma. And one thing they say about karma is that no one can understand it fully. That only a fully enlightened Buddha can really understand all the subtleties of karma. But the simple take on it is that it's like there's always these waves coming from way out in the ocean, and they come, and they roll, and they roll, and roll, and roll. And they finally get to the shore and they crash and the energy of that wave is dissipated. Right? Some, something created that wave. Some movement, some storm in the middle of the ocean. And that energy was carried all the way to the shore, manifested by that wave. This is like, these are our own actions in the past. That's what they say. And that's what I say when I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like when I haven't personally experienced something, I, I say that's what they say. But it's my intuition, intuition and my belief that what, uh, what I'm saying, I believe what I'm saying. I'm sorry if you don't, but <laughs> what are you going to do, you know? I'm just sharing my own craziness with you. So our own actions in the past of some kind, in some past, some kind of past, created like an energy. And that energy will keep going until it's dissipated. So sometimes that energy can act like, 
can be manifested in thoughts. But something... And if we get caught in those thoughts and fight against them and allow them to push us around, we are not allowing that energy to dissipate. We are actually pushing back against the wave and creating more and more waves, more waves. And so that's why we train ourselves to just let go and not push away and not cling to. Let go and come back to the practice that we've agreed with ourselves to do for a certain period of time. And then you get up and be stupid the rest of the day. It's okay. Really. It really doesn't matter. Because that practice you've done, that practice letting go, that in, that's an intuitive movement that will happen from within more and more as we get more comfortable with that. The letting go. And you may not notice, but like a depression that was going to last 365 days may only last 364 and three quarters. You didn't notice, but it's different. And that's the way it works. We get used to letting go and coming back to ourselves for a millionth of a second, and then we're gone again. Letting go, coming back, letting go, coming back. That's why they call it practice. You got to do it. You don't do it, you don't do it. Nothing's going to happen. The same story is going to keep repeating itself on and on. So whatever practice means to you, by the way, you can, it can be anything. Whatever works for you to help you unravel the, and untie the knots in your own hearts, this is what we should try to find. We could try to find if we're interested. Now, chanting has helped me a lot, I think. I mean, I would say that. Probably can't prove it to anybody, but one thing is that I mope around a lot less than I used to. And, you know, I was born a moper. You know, I learned from my parents how to mope, and I just carried the tradition right on. And now I really have, I actually mope around less. Really, I, it's extraordinary. I can't even believe it myself. I miss it. And truly, sometimes I'll mope around just for fun. <laughs> it's just nothing that feels like that. Ah, shit, this son of a bitch. Oh, it's ecstasy. Fantastic. So, it's a really, it's a complete... There's so many ways to look at this. I mean... There's a, a, a shloka in Sanskrit, Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo Maheshwara, Guru Sakshat Parabrahma, Tasmai Shri Guru Venamaha. This is part of what they call the worship of the Guru. It says the Guru has created all this, the Guru preserves all this, the Guru destroys all this, the Guru is that which is, is uh, Guru Sakshat, is that right before my eyes, to that Guru I bow. Now, we can take that on a personal level, where a, a physical level, where you see your guru as the one who's doing everything and you bow to that guru, that, that manifestation of the guru in the human body. But you can also take it a different way. Guru Sakshat Parabrahma, this means everything I see, everything is the guru. 
to that guru I bow, which I surrender, I drop my, my trip to that guru, and I accept everything in my life as teaching, as teaching for me, personally, my, and that everything in my life is there because it's there. And if it's there, one has to deal with it. So, there's different ways of approaching this. Somebody who's very devotional might approach it that way. Somebody who's more, less devotional might see it this way, or a combination of the two. And there's so many other ways of looking at it. The bottom line is, we have to, we have to give ourselves a break to start. We can't be our own worst enemy forever. It's just not going to be fun. It's not going to work. It's not going to be okay. And when we recognize that, that it's up to us, we have the power and the intuition and the wisdom to begin to unravel those things and release those energies that we're carrying around with us from all the broken hearts, all the betrayals, all the stuff we've gone through. And we have that power to do that. And more than that, only we can do that. We can get help and assistance and friendship and teachings, but we have to do it. We have to ultimately let go. If you go, you gotta let go. Sooner or later, it's your hand that has to let go. Nobody else is yours. And that's the good news. By the way, I know it doesn't seem that way. <laughs> but that's the good news, actually. That we can do that. That's the way the whole system was set up, by the way. That we, ourselves, can do that. And will do that, by the way. Just inevitable. It's a, it's a process. We're in the middle of it right now. We're not at the beginning. We're not at the end. We're in the middle of it. It's an inevitability because once that, you ever see those Quaker Oats commercials shot out of a cannon? Remember that? Who's old enough to remember that? Don't raise your hand. Mm. Shot out of a cannon. Once you shot out of the cannon, the ball's going to hit the ground sooner or later. It's inevitable. And that's what it is. You know, this is an inevitability. We're in the process of, re of revealing ourselves to be that one of which we are all a part. Um, you know, I don't know, I, well, I do know. When I went to India, I, I was never coming back. I was going to go. I, I, you know, I, I just had this fantasy I was going to go live in a cave, you know, and the hair and the ashes and all the stuff and the sacred fire and all that. I've seen caves. There's no fucking way I'm going to live with one. <laughs> 
rats and scorpions and mice and bats and snakes. Are you kidding me? Give me my foam mattress and my MTV, you know? I'm out of here. Give me a break. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, so I had this version of myself which I, I was hoping would be true because I hated myself so much I couldn't be me. So I had this other version which I thought was cool, you know? No. After two and a half years, Maharaji looked at me and said, go back to New York. You have, you have attachment there. But I'm just learning Hindi. Too bad. Go. You know, I, what is he talking about, attachment? What do you mean? I left everything. I gave my jeans away. I sold my car, my guitar. I gave my records away. Remember records? I gave I was never coming back. What's he talking about? Well, I know what he's talking about now. Every single thing that I've experienced since that moment to this moment, 50 years of bullshit, that's what he was talking about. My life. This was, the seeds were in there to unfold. You know, you can't, we planted those seeds ourselves. I don't know what we were thinking. But we did that. And now, here we are. Happy New Year. You know, here it is. So, you got to deal with it. There's so many ways of dealing with things. But the first step is recognizing that this is life. And we're in it. And this is me. And yeah, this sucks. I'm going to find out a way to make this okay. And that's what Buddha said when he came out of the jungle. He said, yo, monks, life sucks. It's a direct translation. <laughs> More or less. He said, there is suffering. Period. That's it. That's, there is nothing in this world that doesn't have some dissatisfaction associated with it. Either you have what you don't want, or you don't have what you want. Or you have some combination of the two. Or you just recognize that everything is like that. There's no, that's the way it is. You can't squeeze water from a stone. People have been telling us, oh yeah, squeeze this stone, you'll get so much water out of it. Get this car, get this job, get this wife, get this husband, get this house, get this, get this. That'll make you happy. Who is it made happy? Nobody. It's made people more stupid and more selfish and more afraid. The more you get, the more you're afraid of losing it. Really. Big gates, gated communities. Oh, nobody can get in here. We're safe here. And then an earthquake happens. Nobody's safe. Nobody on the outside world, in the outside stuff, the physical body, you're never safe. You can be at ease, by the way, with whatever arises. That's part of the practice. That's a fruit of practice. To be at ease of heart with whatever arises in your life and whatever's in your life. Now that would be nice. And that's a possibility. But on the physical level, nobody's safe. So, you know, already, shit happens. Stuff stops working. And you, wait a minute, I signed a warranty here. What's the deal? The warranty, you can't find it. <laughs> so, 
So once we begin to get the strength to let go of uh, our, the way we identify with everything so much that we think and feel and imagine and all our programs and all our stories, as we get the strength to release that, it's an incredible experience because no one can hurt you. And it's not an invulnerability that's hard. It's an openness and a relaxed space where everything is free to come and go. The, the pleasant stuff and the unpleasant stuff. We, the, the third patriarch of Zen, he said, the great way is not difficult for those with no preferences. Okay. Is there another way? <laughs> How about the not so great way? Is that okay? Can we try that? <laughs> and my dear friend, whose picture is up there in the back, Bernie Glassman, you know, he used to talk about, he said, you know, Buddha, if you call him the, you know, Buddha used to, it's often said that Buddha described the four noble truths, right? The fact that everything has dissatisfaction associated with it, the cause of that is craving. And then there's the path to free oneself from identification with those cravings, so to speak. And then the result is nirvana, enlightenment. So that's usually called the Four Noble Truths. But Bernie said, you know, I call them the Four Noble Opinions. <laughs> Only he could do that. You know? Because if it's a truth, you can't really discuss it. You know, so either you accept it or you reject it. I don't believe that. But if it's an opinion, like, let's talk about it. What do you think about that? And that's the beauty of that. So, once we kind of get with the program and stop identifying with the victim story so much and get our asses down to doing a little bit of practice, it's a very hard step to take because we are all victimized, all of us, and some to more degree than others. But... The biggest victimization is thinking that we're separate from the universe. That's number one. And then from that, everything else comes. Everything else comes after that. You know, these great beings experience all the suffering, all the pain, all the distress, all the turmoil of all beings in the universe, but it doesn't shut them down because their hearts are as wide as the world. That's, that's the phrase that I stole from Sharon Salzberg. <laughs> Her heart is as wide as the world. I can appreciate that and steal it. <laughs> so when your heart is as wide as the world, everyone is welcome to come and to go. It doesn't affect that space. It doesn't change that. And you're at, you can become at ease with everything. It's very hard. I mean, it's very painful. We all have our hurts and betrayals and our, our, our scars and our wounds. And we all need help to deal with those things. Spiritual practice can help us develop the strength to let go, no matter else, what else we're doing. Therapy, counseling, groups, whatever else we're doing, ultimately, you gotta, you know, you gotta open it up and let go. So, Practice can really help with that over time, little by little. Many times you don't even realize 
the things that don't get you anymore, don't grab you, because they're gone. They disappear from your awareness, gone, and you don't even remember them. Every once in a while you go, oh, what, you know, what happened to that? So, but once again, you got to do it. And it's not easy to create a, a habit of doing practice, because our habits, you know, are so deeply ingrained, the habits of thought, the habits of the behaviors that we have, the things we do to pacify our uh, negative emotions. And we've been doing those things so long, it's very difficult to, to change that. So that's why I said, just do some practice. Don't try to change anything. It will change. You'll notice things will change, opportunities will arise that you didn't even see before. They'll show up in your life that you didn't see before. They might have always been there, but now you notice it. It's like a person who, you know, always you've seen around, and one day you look, oh, hi. You know, they show up in a different way in your awareness. <sighs> okay. Um, we have a microphone somewhere or two, and if you have something to say, please raise your hand, and we'll hand you a mic to talk. Because I'm deaf, and I can't hear you. And everybody has to hear you, so. If you have some question or something you want to talk about, let me, let me know. Or we will sit in silence. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Kirtan Mala Foundation. Krishnadas is renowned for leading Kirtan, the spiritual practice of chanting, and workshops around the world. For more information about him, including upcoming events, please visit krishnadas.com. K-R-I-S-H-N-A-D-A-S.com. We also invite you to visit kirtanwalafoundation.org. K-I-R-T-A-N-W-A-L-L-A-H foundation.org Here you will find more offerings dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba. Love everyone, serve everyone. Remember God. Ram Ram. <laughs>